You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Father, Spirit, Jesus Christ, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, we come before you this morning and we pray that you give us a glimpse of your glory through the preaching of your word so that we may fear you. For we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Devin, and I get the great joy of serving as one of the pastors here at River City. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series through the book of Exodus, and we have made our way to Exodus 19 and 20. Uh, if, you, if you have your Bible, turn there with me. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and our strike team will come down, and they will hand one out to you. And as they're coming down, uh, I just want to make a note that preaching these large sections of scripture is really hard, so I want to just appreciate Pastor Jake and all of his work and bringing it to us. Uh, my first rough draft for this sermon was 82 minutes. If you count reading the, if you count reading the passage, it was 82 minutes. So uh, you're getting the Cliff Notes version, but uh, I'm glad that we can, we can do this. So Exodus 19 and 20, how do we get to this point in the narrative? So God chose to save the Israelites because he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And one of the reasons that he is saving them is so that the Israelites can serve him on Mount Sinai. The microphone hit my sweater and it just blew up, so I apologize for that. So God is delivering his people so that they would serve him on Mount Sinai. And through ten plagues and an amazing deliverance through the Red Sea, God delivers his people. And last week we saw God providing for and caring for his people in the wilderness. And that is, in a nutshell, leads us to Exodus 19 and 20. And in this passage, we will see the Lord reveal his holiness to his people. And he's going to make a covenant with his people. And one thing I want you to note before we read this text is that the Lord has saved his people, and then he gives them the Ten Commandments, because we're going to be at the famous Ten Commandments this morning. So, Exodus 19 and 20, I'm going to read all the way through 20, chapter 20, verse 21. So, Exodus 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, 
and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, by the way, in, the, in Scripture, anytime you see the word behold, like pay attention because God is about to say something important. Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold him guiltless. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Amen. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. (coughs) What you believe about God impacts how you approach him. Your view of God has a great effect on how you relate with him. And one of the ideas that our culture has been throwing at us that is tainting our view of God is the idea of the therapeutic. And by that, I mean that we live in a culture in an era where whatever you believe, we live in a culture that tells us that whatever you believe will bring you the most happiness is what is most important. With the rise of the therapeutic, the only thing that matters is individual happiness. There are no more external objective standards. What makes you happy is most important. And not only on top of that, what you think makes you happy is morality. What you think makes you happy is what is good and right and true. This is what our culture is telling us. We see this in ideas like you need to find a job where you can be fulfilled and be happy. You need to follow your dreams no matter the cost. Those are a few ideas. Now you can imagine how the rise of the therapeutic taints our view of God. If what I think makes me happy is what is most important to me, then a good God would give me whatever I want whenever I want it. And God becomes some fluffy Santa Claus type figure who is there just to give me whatever I want. Or as R.C. Sproul has said, God becomes our divine butler or cosmic therapist? Have you ever believed this about God? Or let me ask it in a different way. Based on how you relate with God, have you ever viewed God in this way? I'm sure we all have. If you believe this about God, then you will get angry or disappointed when you don't get what you want. If you believe this about God, then you can easily doubt his goodness when suffering comes. 
If you believe this about God, then you will only go to him when you want something. If God is your heavenly Burger King, then you're going to be disappointed when you can't have it your way. And Jesus just becomes the sprinkles on top of your self-serve ice cream cone. Your view of God impacts how you approach him. Now, our passage this morning will help correct our tainted view of God. Now, it won't tell us everything that we need to know about God, but it will help this particular tainted view of God by boldly declaring to us that God is a holy, consuming fire. God is a holy, consuming fire. And this passage gives us two ways that we can approach this holy, consuming fire. And these are my two points this morning. So first, approach God with trembling from Exodus 19. And second, approach God in worship, which is coming from Exodus 20. So first point this morning, God is a holy, consuming fire, so approach him with trembling. Again, this is coming from Exodus 19. So at the beginning of Exodus 19, we see that the Israelites, after three months or three new moons, after being delivered out of the hands of the, of the Egyptians, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And specifically, they made it to Mount Sinai. And remember, as I said earlier, one of the reasons the Lord wanted to deliver them was so that they could serve him at this mountain. Okay, so they've made it to this mountain. And this is important because this is the setting for not only our passage this morning, but this is the setting for the rest of the book of Exodus. So as you're reading and studying Exodus, this is the setting. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. And just a quick note here before we continue. In the ESV, the Lord, when it is capitalized, is referring to the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And so throughout this sermon, I'm going to use the Lord and Yahweh interchangeably. And I think it's important that we know the name of Yahweh because it is his covenant name. It reflects his covenant character. That means that he is faithful to save and faithful to judge. And it reflects his covenant promise that he will be their God and they will be his people. So Yahweh reflects God's covenant. It's his covenant name. It reflects his covenant character and his covenant promise. So if you hear me say Yahweh, I'm going to say it all the time. That's what that means. Yahweh called out to Moses from the mountain, and he tells Moses to give the Israelites an amazing promise from verses 4 through 6. And Yahweh begins this promise by reminding them and declaring to them that he has already saved them. Guys, I really think it's my shirt. So God begins this promise by reminding them that he's already saved them, and then he's going to give these amazing promises. And he says that if they obey his voice and keep his covenant, that they will be his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Now, note that what's happening here is Yahweh is making a covenant with Israel. He says it himself in verse 5. Now, we'll, we'll talk more about what a covenant is when we get to the second point. But for now, I just wanted to note that because the Lord himself is calling this a covenant. And also note that these are conditional covenant promises. If they obey his voice, if they keep his covenant, then they will be his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And again, just to make it clear, they are not saved by their obedience. They have already been delivered. 
this covenant declares how they are to be and to live as God made them to be. So Moses was then called by God to speak all these words to the people. Now, all these words is a phrase that you'll see a few times in this text, and it actually refers to the whole of the covenant commands from Exodus 20, verse 1, through Exodus 23 through 33. So it's more than just our passage today. And all the people answered and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. What the people are doing here is they're agreeing to this covenant. People are saying, We agree to this, Yahweh. Now again, we'll learn more about this when we get to Exodus 24. But for now, the narrative continues with Moses reporting the people's response to the Lord. And then the Lord says something amazing. He says, Behold, I'm going to come down on the mountain... I'm going to speak directly to you, Moses, and the goal of me speaking directly to you is so that the people will obey. So that the people will obey. The goal of Yahweh coming is to help the people believe and obey. And this is an amazing statement. The king of glory is coming down. So the Lord tells Moses to get the people ready for Yahweh to come. The Lord is thrice holy. He is holy holy, holy, and therefore the people have to consecrate themselves. That is, they have to set themselves apart so that they can be in the presence of God. They have to get rid of anything that is going to take away their full devotion to God so they they can be in his presence. And even after three days of consecration, Moses had to set limits around the mountain. They could not even touch the mountain. They could not go near the mountain because if they did, or even if an animal did, they would surely die. And they would be so devoured by the holiness of God that the, the people who were still alive couldn't even touch the person who died. And so even in describing the preparations of the coming of Yahweh, we see that he is a holy, consuming fire. Yahweh cannot be in the presence of anyone or anything that is even remotely tainted by sin. He is holy, holy, holy. And we see elsewhere in Scripture that sinless creatures can't even bear to be in the presence of the holiness of God. They have to cover their face and their feet. There is no God besides him. He is perfect in power and love and purity. Therefore, the people had to be consecrated. They had to be set apart so they could come into the presence of Yahweh. Now, with the consecration taking place and the the boundaries in place... They were waiting for the loud trumpet blast. And when the trumpet blasts really loud, that is a sign, that's an announcement that the Lord is going to immediately come. The trumpet blast announces the immediate coming of Yahweh. So on the morning of the third day, they heard the loud trumpet blast. And the Lord God Almighty came down in a thick cloud. There was loud thunder and bright lightning bolts. These were probably louder and brighter than any storm that you've ever seen in your entire life. So loud and so bright was this storm that all the people in the camp trembled. They trembled in fearful anticipation of being in the presence of the holy God. And what they saw was the most majestically awful sight that any human can ever see. And that is the presence of of Almighty Yahweh. 
The whole mountain was wrapped in thick smoke as every inch of it was covered with fire because the Lord was there. The smoke went up out of the mountain like a giant furnace. The holy Yahweh of glory was there. And so they approached him with trembling. They were scared for their lives. Beloved, the Lord our God is a holy, consuming fire. His holiness will devour anything and everything that is even remotely tainted by sin, like a fire destroys a dry forest. God's holiness is scarier than anything that we can conjure up for Halloween. The manifest presence of Yahweh is the most terrifying thing that any human being can encounter. For it is a fearful thing for sinful man to be in the presence of a holy God. There is no one who can dwell in the presence of the devouring fire of Yahweh's holiness. He's terrifying. And he's so terrifying that the passage tells us that the mountain itself trembled greatly. He is a holy, consuming fire. And his holiness is so terrifying because when it is revealed to you, it not only reveals the resplendent glory of the Holy One, it exposes the full ugliness and darkness of all of your sins. In the presence of the Holy One, all of your sin is exposed. Every single one of your sins, past, present, future, is brought to the light and deserves to be completely devoured by the Holy God. The other night we had a fire at our house. We were just hanging out, and I had a dirty paper towel. And when you're at a fire and you have a dirty paper towel, what are you going to do? You're going to throw it in the fire. But I threw the paper towel in the fire, and I was just watching as it was consumed by fire and then fully disintegrated. Beloved, that is what we deserve for our sin. Because God is holy. He is a holy, consuming, devouring fire. Do you ever view God this way? God is not your divine butler or cosmic therapist. He's not a fluffy Santa Claus type figure. He's not your heavenly Burger King. He is a holy, consuming fire. And we need to approach him with trembling Because here's the thing. One day, the trumpet will blast again. And when it does, that will announce the coming of the Lord in all of his glory. To quote the hymn, The trump will resound and the Lord shall descend, and you will be brought face to face with the terrifying presence of Yahweh. What will you do when that happens? Are you ready? God is a holy, consuming fire, and we should approach him with trembling. That leads us to our second point this morning. So first, God is a holy, consuming fire. Approach him with trembling. And second, God is a holy, consuming fire. So approach him in worship. Approach him in worship. Now this brings us to chapter 20 of Exodus and the famous Ten Commandments. Now, 
I have about eight to ten minutes to talk about the Ten Commandments, which is woefully inadequate. So my goal here this morning is to give you a framework so that you can understand and apply and study these commandments for the rest of your life. And before we look at these Ten Commandments, it's vital, it's vital to note again that the Lord has already delivered his people and now he's giving them the commandments. Okay, so here are a few things that we need to know when we're studying and understanding the Ten Commandments. The first thing that we need to know is that in the Ten Commandments, Yahweh is making a covenant with his people Israel. He's making a covenant with Israel. This covenant is the formalization of Israel as a theocratic nation. It's the formalization of Israel as God's covenant people. Okay, now you've heard me say covenant multiple times. What is a covenant? A covenant, in terms of a biblical covenant, is a life or death promise to commit to what God tells his people to commit to. A covenant, a biblical covenant, is a life and death promise to commit to what God tells his people to commit to. A biblical covenant is more than just a commitment or just a contract. It is a combination of a commitment and a relationship. Covenant is the way that God relates to his people, and it's the way that he commits to his people. A great example of this is the covenant relationship of marriage. The vows of a marriage define the covenant relationship of marriage. It's what you're agreeing to. It's what you're committing to. And the Lord himself refers to his people as his bride, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And keeping these commandments is how his bride remains faithful to the relationship. So you can think about it like this. When you break one of the Ten Commandments, you're committing adultery against the Lord because it is a covenant relationship. And you see that all over the Old Testament. God tells his people that they've committed adultery. That's what he's referring to. They broke the commandment. So the first thing... God is making a covenant with his people so that he will be their God and they will be his people. The second thing that we need to know about the Ten Commandments, and these are just going to be brief due to time, is that they are rooted in God's character. The Ten Commandments are rooted in God's character. They aren't some random commands that God made up, but they are rooted in the very holy character of God. God is good, and therefore his commandments are good. God is holy, therefore his commandments are holy. And because God is holy, when his people obey his commandments, they are setting themselves up to be holy. And that's the third thing that we need to know about the Ten Commandments, is that this is how we are to be holy as God is holy. The Ten Commandments set God's people apart from the rest of the world. And not just to be set apart, but set apart so they can be fully devoted to God. Remember, God desires his people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, how do they do that? You obey the Ten Commandments. Okay. Following the Ten Commandments is how we are to be holy as God is holy. Then this leads to a great question. How should we understand and apply the Ten Commandments today? I mean, Pastor Devin, you just told me that this was a covenant between Israel and the Lord. How should we understand these today? It's a great question. And this is how I would answer that. In Galatians 3, 19 through 29, or excuse me, 15 through 29, 
And in 2 Corinthians 3, we learn that the law was only meant to be a temporary and typological guardian until Christ arrived. This covenant never promises eternal life. It only promises long life in the land. It was always meant to be a temporary placeholder until Jesus Christ, who is the fulfiller of the commandments, came. Because here's the thing, because of sin, there is no one who can or has ever obeyed all of these commandments perfectly for your whole life. And you know that. You look at the commandments, you know you've never kept them. But there is one person who has, and that is Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ obeyed all of the commandments of God perfectly. And by faith in him, when he died on the cross, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that by faith in Christ, we are declared righteous or justified in God's eyes. That is, by faith, Christ's perfect obedience has been transferred to us and our sin has been transferred to him. I want to ask Natalie what that is called. You don't have to do that. I'm just, I'm just kidding. We talked about it. We talked about imputation at youth, so it's okay. That's called imputation when our sin is transferred to Christ and his obedience is transferred to us. And through Christ, the law has three uses in the life of believers. And I want to note here that none of them are to earn salvation. So this is how we should view the law in our life. Three uses. The first use is that it drives us to Christ. It drives us to Christ. (laughs) The first use of the law is that it reveals our sin. It's like looking into a mirror of God's holiness and you see the perfection of God and you can see where you have missed that perfection. And when your sin is revealed to you, this should drive you to Christ in repentance and faith. Repentance is turning away from your sin, and faith is turning to Christ. Okay, so the first use is that it drives us to Christ. The second use is known as the civil use, and this is meant to restrain sin in the world. For example, most people in the world would agree that murder is objectively wrong. Now, there's wild debates and disagreements about what counts as murder, and and certainly not everyone would agree that murder is wrong. But for the most part, most people would agree that, objectively speaking, murder is wrong. And because of this, this is God's common grace in the world, making it so that the world is not as bad as it should be. So the second use is that it restrains sin in the world. And the third use... tells us how to live in this world as Christians. How do we know how to live a life pleasing to God? How do we know how to be holy as God is holy? Well, we obey his commandments. And here's the thing. God's commandments for your life are for your good. Not to earn God's favor. Again, I want to make that clear. You cannot earn God's favor here. But this is how we live a life pleasing to him. And when we live a life pleasing to the Lord, that is what is best for us. And this is the beautiful part. God does care about your happiness. It's just that your happiness is inherently wrapped up. I'll try not to move. 
So this is an important point. God does care about your happiness. It's just that your happiness is inherently wrapped up in your holiness. The holier you are, the happier you will be. And this is awesome because what makes you happy is not based on what you think, which is fleeting and can change and can be confusing, but it is based on the character of God, which is unchanging and holy. How you view God will impact how you approach his commands. God is good, and so are his commands. Now, I want to make a point here, just real quickly, that you know you can make a whole sermon on. But we need the help of the Holy Spirit, and we need the gospel every single day so that we can obey. This is not like obedience on my own strength. This is obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so in summary, what we've learned about the Ten Commandments is that they are a covenant, they reflect the character of God, they teach us how to be holy as God is holy, and there are three uses in the life of the believer to drive us to Christ, to restrain sin, and to teach us how to live. And I pray that this will give you a framework and an understanding for how to study and apply these commandments for the rest of your life. All right, as we head into the final stretch of this sermon, let's go back to Exodus 20. Verses 18 through 21. Remember that the people were receiving the Ten Commandments at the foot of the mountain, and they were in the terrifying presence of the Lord. And when they saw the presence of the Lord, they were trembled, and they, they trembled, and they stood far off. And the Hebrew, is, is, the Hebrew language is amazing, but in the Hebrew, it, it gives this idea that the people were uncontrollably swaying back and forth in terror, kind of like a tree sways back and forth in a violent storm. That's what was happening here. And they were so afraid that they went to Moses and they said, Moses, you speak to us, but don't let God speak to us because if he does, we're going to die. They recognized their need for a mediator. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. This is verse 20. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. That's an interesting little phrase. Do not fear, so that you may fear. God is saying, do not fear, because God wants to fill you with the fear of him, so that you will obey his commands. It is the fear of the Lord that will lead to obedience. And again, because the people were afraid, they stood off. They recognized that they need someone to go in between them and Yahweh because they don't stand a chance in the terrifying presence of the holy consuming fire. They need a covenant mediator. Now, a covenant mediator is someone who mediates or stands between the two parties of the covenant. Moses is their covenant mediator. He is the go-between between Yahweh and the people. And they need a mediator because they cannot be in the presence of God. Now, just because we aren't standing in front of a smoking, trembling, stormy mountain does not mean that God is any less holy today. God is still holy, holy, holy. God is still a holy, consuming, devouring fire. And beloved, we better recognize that we need to tremble before the holiness of God. And we need to recognize that we need a mediator between us and God.
And we need a better mediator than Moses because Moses is dead. He can't help us. Jesus Christ is this covenant mediator. As 1 Timothy 2.15, excuse me, 2.5 says, For there is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. As Drew read earlier in Hebrews 12, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Now, because we're getting in, like, covenant mediator, like, getting all into this theological jargon, let me just make this very clear. God is scary. You need Jesus. It comes down to that. God is scary. You need Jesus. Because it is only through Jesus Christ that you can enter into the presence of the holy God. And by faith in Christ, we will not be consumed by the all-consuming fire of God's holiness because Christ was consumed for us. By faith in Christ, we will not be devoured by the fiery wrath of God because Christ took the wrath for us. Beloved, by faith in Christ, our sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. And that means we can enter the presence of the Holy God only through Christ Jesus. This means by faith in Christ, when the trump resounds and the Lord descends, we can say, it is well with my soul. Yes, amen. It is the truth of the gospel that changes how we approach the Holy God. And instead of trembling in terror, we should tremble in worship. A very small illustration of this would be how we view the sunrise if you're driving. If you've ever drove and you have a little bit of frost on your windshield and you're driving right into the sun, you're like you can't you're blinded, it's dangerous to drive, you can't see anything. But if your windshield has been cleaned and you have a little bit of a slightly different angle, the sunrise is one of the most beautiful things that you can set your eyes on. Now, what's interesting about that is that the sunrise itself hasn't changed. Your view has. The gospel of Jesus gives us a different view of the sunrise of God's holiness. Jesus cleans our heart so that we can see God, so that we can be in the presence of God, so that we can have a relationship with God and not die. Therefore, as we read earlier in Hebrews 12, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Beloved, God is still a consuming fire. He is still holy, holy, holy. And we should still approach him with trembling. It's just that through Christ Jesus, our trembling should be mixed with awe and reverence. Through Christ Jesus, our trembling should be mixed with worship. And when you mix trembling and worship together, you get the fear of the Lord that is talked about all over Scripture. And when the fear of the Lord is your motivation... You can obey the commandments as an act of worship. You want to be happy? Obey the Ten Commandments as an act of worship. That will bring you true and lasting happiness. God is not your heavenly Burger King, and he's not here to let you 
have it your way. And beloved, this is good news. Because my way is not a good way. He has a better way for us. His way, rooted in his character. He's not concerned about fast food happiness. And what I mean by that is happiness dependent on my definition of happiness. Happiness that is fleeting pleasures or instant gratification. He's concerned with true and lasting and eternal happiness. And when we approach him in the fear of the Lord and obey him as an act of worship, that is true and lasting happiness. Our God is a holy, consuming fire. And therefore, through Christ Jesus, we should approach him with trembling, mixed with worship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, it's a miracle that we can even talk to you right now and that you hear us. It is only possible through our covenant mediator, Christ Jesus. We thank you that you have given us a better and greater mediator than Moses. We thank you that you have given us someone who has fulfilled the law on our behalf because there's no way that we have or even can. We thank you that you do not devour us in your holiness, but that you have given us Christ and that you have let us live in this life. You have been patient to us and your kindness kindness and patience to us is meant to lead us to repentance. So God, would you fill us with the fear of you That way we may live a lifestyle of repentance and faith, obeying your commands as an act of worship. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.